favourite place to be. Um, I'm married to Tim, I'm stepmom to his two boys and mum to my daughter Marley who's two and a half. Um, and we've been at St George's for nearly a year, I think in September it comes up to a year. So this evening I'm talking about one of my favourite Bible stories um, and it includes Elijah. Um, and in case you've never heard of Elijah, he's one of the greatest prophets and miracle workers in the Bible. Um, he's also one of the two prophets that appears with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17. Now, it's, because it's Old Testament, it's got quite a complicated backstory, and I could read out to you two whole chapters of the Old Testament, if you'd be here quite a while. Um, so instead, I'm going to show you a short video. And this video is about 1 Kings 18, which is the chapter before I'm going to talk about, because it gives us a bit of context about what's happening and what's going on. Um, full disclosure, this is a kid's video. I know it's a kid's video. I know that you are not kids. Um, but when I went to look for videos, they were all very serious, all very dramatic, all very long. And I quite frankly was a bit like, Meh. So this, short, sweet, keeps it all in, you know, about two or three minutes. Um, I do have to just add some bits at the end because it doesn't quite tell the whole story, but I'll explain that afterwards. Um, but if you would look to the screens, we're going to watch a short video on chapter 18. Now you're all up to date. So, um, the reason that doesn't quite tell the whole story, and I understand why they didn't put this bit in the kids' video, um, is because the next bit is that um, Elijah calls for all the prophets of Baal to be slaughtered, and they are. So, not the best thing for a kids' video, um, but we need to know that for what's going to happen next in our passage. So, I'm going to be reading from 1 Kings uh, chapter 19. Feel free to follow along in the Bibles with you in front of you on your phone. Um, I can't do my phone. I check Facebook by mistake, so I stick with the actual Bible. Um, and I'm going to read it to you, and it should also be on our screens. Thank you. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Bathsheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank Strengthened by that food, he travelled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go and stand out on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. 
The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Go to the, Damas- the desert of Damascus. When you get there, appoint Hazel king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. Anoint Elisha, son of Sabat, over Abel Mich, yeah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the Lord, Hazel, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. Pronunciation aside, that's the passage. So, Elijah's a prophet. Um, his job, his mission, his ministry um, is to share the word of God uh, with the people of Israel. And his whole aim, really, is to get them to turn back to worship God. Um, and we saw from that, that clip in the previous chapter, he's had this amazing experience where in front of everybody, God has kind of answered his prayer in a really public and obvious way. Everything Elijah said has been true. Um, God answers it. He, you know, he's, he's there. Um, and the people cried out, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And that, I mean, that surely he's aced it, right? 10 out of 10 in terms of his job review. This is what you were called to do. People are going, yep, yeah, the Lord is God. He's got to be feeling pretty good about that. I mean, I feel good when God answers my prayer for a parking space, um, let alone that kind of major reaction. Um, and you might think on that kind of high that he was about to you know, go from strength to strength in faith, strengthened, just do amazing things for God. But as we've read, he actually has a pretty horrendous time of it. Verse four, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And Elijah was a man that had, had, had seen some pretty awesome answers to prayer. We'd obviously that one with the fire. Um, he'd also prayed for it not to rain and it didn't rain for like three years and six months. Um, he then prayed for it to rain and it did rain. Um, he prayed for some oil and some flour to never run out and it didn't. And then he prayed for someone who was dead to come back to life and they did. I mean, he'd seen some particularly impressive answers to prayer and yet he prays to die. I don't, I don't know if he genuinely wanted to die or not. But some scholars talk about him being severely depressed in that moment. Um, and that would, that would make sense with that kind of, I just don't want to be here anymore. Whatever he's going through, it's clear that he's desperate, he's overwhelmed, he feels like a failure, he's at the end of himself, and he's very much feeling alone. And I don't know about you, but when I'm sometimes in a, in a crisis place or in, in real emotional pain. It's not that I want to die, but I do want the world to stop so I can get off for a moment and just catch my breath. And I don't know whether that's how he felt, just like, I've, I've had enough, God, I've had enough. For me, the first encounter with this passage was when I was uh, having to come back from university. I had to delay my exams because uh, I was really struggling with depression. And I met up with my youth worker, and she talked me through this passage and shared some of her experience. Now, Hopefully, life has moved on from 20 years ago. Uh, but then, it was the people I was with, um, they found it quite difficult that I was struggling with depression as a Christian. They found it even more difficult that my doctor wanted to give me medication. Um, and so, to meet with my youth worker, talk this passage through, see that Elijah had gone through this. <laughs> Elijah had gone through this, one of the greatest prophets, really just gave me such a sense of comfort that I wasn't alone and that God could still and would still use me. Um, and nowadays, I think it's as ridiculous as telling a diabetic not to have insulin, isn't it? But 20 years ago, at least the people I was talking with um, found it a bit of a struggle. It continued to speak to me throughout my life. It's, you know, that wasn't my only experience with depression. It's something that I deal with throughout my life. Um, but God has continued to speak to me through that passage. It's one that I return to, and it gives me such a sense of comfort and support. 
It also really challenges me because before my own experience, I was a little judgmental of Elijah. I was like, Elijah, are you serious? Have you just seen what's happened? Like, how amazing was that? If God had did that in my life, I would never doubt again. I just never would. If he'd done an amazing answer to prayer, I'd be like, I'd be set for life. And then, of course, you realize, I have seen God answer prayer. I have seen God do amazing things. And I still doubt, and I still struggle, and I still kind of think sometimes, are you, are you there, are you listening to me? Now, mercifully, God doesn't answer Elijah's prayer. Instead, he sends an angel with some food, a bit like an ancient Uber Eats. Um, and the angel encourages him to eat, sleep, repeat. Um, you know, have something to eat, have a little bit of rest, do it again. And then once, verse 8, it says, once he's nourished and rested and has the energy, he goes on this journey for 40 days and 40 nights, familiar to Israel's journey in the wilderness, to Horeb, to Mount Sinai. So my first point is, never underestimate the spiritual power of a nap and a snack. As I mentioned, I have a two-and-a-half-year-old, and I love her, I adore her, she's my world, and yet... For the first two years of her life, she just didn't sleep. She just didn't sleep. In fact, I've been up since four this morning because she still wakes up quite early. Um, And I genuinely have never been so tired in the last two years of my life than ever before. I have cried because I'm so tired. I have decided not to drive my car because I wasn't sure I was safe enough from lack of sleep. Um, So I I totally understand why in some countries um, sleep deprivation is a form of torture. So we need sleep. We need rest. We need to recoup. We need to heal. We need that time. And that's how God made us. We're made in the image of God. God rested. Jesus, when he was on earth, he rested. He withdrew. He had time to himself to sleep, even in the middle of a storm. John Ortberg, uh, he's an author, and one of the most popular books he's written is Everyone's Normal to Get to Know Them. Um, And he he wrote, uh, sleeping can be one of the most spiritual things that you can do. Um, there's a whole host of really bad things that happen if you don't sleep. And I started to research it, and then I got so miserable that I thought, I'm not going to share. It's just not good. Not having enough sleep is not good for us. Full stop. Um, uh, but it, I think the main thing for me is it's really hard to be patient and gentle and self-controlled when we're tired, um, when we're running on, on empty. And, it, and I find it hard to really prioritise my relationship with God because I want to put the TV on and eat chocolate. That's all I want to do. It's all I have energy for when I'm tired. Um, and I don't know if you've heard the phrase hangry. Like, you're so hungry, you get angry. Yeah, I get, I get that too. Um, in my defence, I'm gluten-free, and I've been gluten-free for a long time, and there have genuinely been times in my life when everyone around me is eating, and there's nothing I can eat. And I'm like, trying to be gracious about it, really, I want to like, have a full-on tantrum, like my two-year-old. Um, but anyway, that's an aside. Um, I'm convinced that along with sleeping, eating is significant to our, kind of, our spiritual walk and our spiritual well-being. Um, We see again that Jesus not only hung out with people, he ate with people. Um, He broke societal rules to eat with people. Um, He broke bread, he cooked fish on beaches, um, and communion that we share is a a, a reflection of a meal that he had with his disciples. I also think it's significant that for Elijah, in his pain, in his desperation, the first thing that God chooses to deal with is for him to have a sleep and have some food. Before anything else, before he deals with anything else going on with what Elijah's facing, he's like, sleep, eat, and then we'll get on with the rest of it. Our bodies are gifts from God. We have to look after them because that's how we're going to use them to fulfill the call that he has on our lives. 
So Elijah eats and rests and travels 40 days and then recovers in a cave overnight. And in the morning, God, who I'm assuming knows the answer, but asks anyway, says to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah lets him have it. (laughs) He speaks from the heart. He pours out his his puzzlement, his confusion, his um, disappointment, um, his sense of failure, how alone he feels. He says, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. I've been busy. I've been working hard. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Sometimes we've got to get it off our chest and just tell God exactly how we're feeling. Sometimes that's so important just to be able to know that he's a safe place for you to be like, ah, And what I think is interesting is Elijah here talks about being alone, doesn't he? He says, I'm alone, I'm the only one left. Yet he chose to leave his servant at Bathsheba. He he leaves him there and goes off. And again, I think it's something that happens when we're in pain or when we're struggling, is that sometimes we, first of all, see the worst in all situations. And second of all, we push people away. And then we feel like no one gets it, no one understands. Um, Maybe we don't even realise we're doing it at the time, but it's been so easy to push away the exact people that we need at the time that we're hurting and in pain. But God says to Elijah, you're not quite as alone as you think. So my second point is, never underestimate the power of friendship. God says to Elijah, it's verses 15 to 18, you're, you're not alone. I'm sending you to find this guy, Elisha, um, and you don't really know it yet, but he's going to be like your successor. He's going to be like a friend. He's going to be a support. And I think that friendship not only gives Elijah a sense of um, companionship and he's not alone, it also gives him hope because he says, he's going to carry on your ministry. You haven't failed. You haven't messed it all up. Your ministry is going to continue even after you're not here anymore. And on top of that, far from being a complete failure at your job, there are 7,000 people that have never worshipped Baal, that have never turned away. You really are not alone. Because we're not designed to do life, faith alone. Christianity itself is about God in relationship with himself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's about us being called into relationship with God. And it's about us being called into relationship with one another. Jesus, again, as our example, didn't do some kind of solo ministry. He called people with him. And not just people to, like colleagues to go and do the work. He had people that he loved, people that were his friends. We need people that will inspire us, encourage us, challenge us, will model grace and forgiveness when we need it, and call us to model grace and forgiveness when they need it. But those kind of friendships aren't always easy to come by. You know, different stages of our lives have different pressures. I find it hard to finish a sentence when Marley's around with people, let alone have a meaningful conversation. So it isn't always easy to come, you know, in contact with people you can really develop deep relationships with. And I'd love to give you, you know, three top tips, all beginning with the same letter, about how to make really good friends. Um, But it's not that simple, is it? It's not that straightforward. I think if you're in a situation maybe when you're new here and you'd really like to connect with people for the first time and you haven't had a chance to do that yet, um, then speak to Sharon Seal in our church office. She will help connect you with a a midweek group and she'd help connect you with a serving team. They're two of the best ways to get to know people quickly. And from then, you can then start to develop some of those relationships. If for you, perhaps it isn't about meeting people, your social calendar is very full, thank you very much. You've been here a very long time, thank you. Um, But actually, you're just struggling to try and find those people that you really trust and feel like you can share honestly with your life. I would really encourage prayer. 
prayer ministry if you can. Uh, if you can't, just making it you know, a daily part of your prayer with God if it's not already. And also possibly finding somebody outside of your situation to, to talk to. I don't know if you've heard of Spiritual Direction, but there's a, a London charity that's around Spiritual Direction, and it's someone that will speak with you and talk with you um, that's just slightly outside of your kind of current life situation. So they're just some ideas if, if that appeals to you to try and help with those things. So God has asked Elijah what you're doing here. He's poured out all of how he feels. And God says, go and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Basically, I'm going to show up. You better get ready. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart, shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And the voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? So my final point this evening is never underestimate the power of the still, small voice. God is powerful and amazing and unfathomable and mighty and he can speak to us in any way he chooses. He can set like trees alight to try and get our attention if he wants to. But he will also talk in a still, small voice, in the quiet whisper. God knew exactly what Elijah needed in that moment, and he needed a personal encounter with God. We can quite often miss God in our desire to want to have you know, loud and impressive encounters. I, you know, I want a, a great story where angels appear to me and I can retell it and everyone goes, wow. Um, but that isn't often how God speaks to me. It's more like a nudge or when I'm reading something, I feel God kind of put on my heart something to do. The reality is we don't need powerful or impressive ministries. We don't need angels appearing to us to hear from God. He can hear, you can hear from him in our everyday. There's a, a theologian called Charles Spurgeon, and uh, he said, um, the same lesson has to be learned over and over by us all. Let us repeat it. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. He goes on to say, it's to be lamented that most of our professors obstinately cling to the fatal error of looking for displays of power of one kind or another. Because God had already showed up in amazing ways, hadn't he? He'd come down in fire, and Elijah had been preaching and telling people about the Lord. Um, and yet God knows that that isn't actually what often changes our hearts. Uh, it isn't the loud and the great displays and the great speeches. It's encounters with God himself a personal encounter with him that really changes our hearts and our lives. And I don't, I don't know where you are this evening. I don't often come to this service, but if you're someone that feels they've never had that personal encounter, then, you know, the prayer ministry team, I would love to chat and pray with you. Because whatever it is that's holding you back, Jesus died for it on the cross. And he rose again, and he has dealt with it. And that relationship that I talked about is on offer for you this evening. Often what we also need is a bit of time and a bit of space and a bit of quiet and some honesty with God. Maybe that's physical quiet for you, you just, it's, life is busy. Uh, maybe it's internal quiet that your mind is just always on the go. But I think some time to just share our hearts with God, what's going on and, and listening is really important. And that's not easy to find. I mean, my phone is with me everywhere, 
even in the loose, too much information, but there you go. Um, <laughs> sometimes it's the only time to look at it with my child, but anyway. Um, it takes a conscious effort, I think, to create that space, that quiet, that time apart. Um, and we have to make a real effort to be like, when can I turn off the radio? When can I be driving in the car and turn it off? You know, in my young free and single days, I used to have retreat days. I mean, what a treat, a whole day just to myself. Um, now I have walking around Tesco's by myself. Um, but God can use that. You know, God doesn't need us to have a whole day set apart. God can speak to us wherever we're at, whatever we're doing, if we are seeking him and asking him to talk to us. So I thought the way that we would end this evening is by having some time of quiet. I'm, I'm not actually going to make us all sit in silence. What I'm going to do is I'm going to invite the band to come back up, if you don't mind, band. Um, and I'm going to ask you a couple of questions to help you kind of reflect and think. Um, then we'll have some space, and then the band will continue to lead us um, in, in worship this evening. I'm just going to pray for us before we start. Father God, thank you that you know each and every one of us like you knew Elijah. You knew what he needed in that moment and you know what we need now. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and that you would minister to us now. Amen. So I want you to stop and reflect and I want you to think about what's your story. How has God brought you to this place at this time, to this service? What is it you're seeking from God this evening? What's your burden? What's your joy? What's your need? And I'd encourage you to, to let God have it, the good, the bad, the ugly, how you feel about it and listen to that still, small voice. What are you doing here?